that's the one thing that no one can take from you. Whether or not you can pay your bills, whether or not you have food in your belly, when you have the presence of God profoundly in your life, you have everything. And you know what? We all know that it's true because a lot of us have many more cents in our checking account than the rest of the world. And we struggle with being completely unfulfilled. No matter how many times you watch your TV program, no issues with TV, but it doesn't satisfy the new job promotion you wanted you worked None hard for it none of us can keep all of the law satisfy. we are disobedient not saying you shouldn't work hard but that not doesn't mean we aren't saved as Pastor Daniel explains today our disobedience does keep us from his blessings self-focus keeps us from following what God wants from us we'll find out that unbroken fellowship with the Father is the most sustaining relationship of all he considers his children to be special treasures listen and discover what makes you a priest in his kingdom Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Preparation. Chapter 19 is a preparatory chapter. Starting in the next chapter, in in chapter 20, we have what is commonly called the, the Ten Commandments. It's kind of a deceptive name. It's Because the Bible has actually in the law 613 commandments. God's law actually contains that many commandments. But the the Ten Commandments are unique because they're really the ten that were written by the very finger of God in two tablets of stone. But this chapter, chapter 19, we find that they arrive in Sinai where they're going to receive the law. And this is actually going to be the location for the rest of the book of Exodus all of the book of Leviticus, and a good portion of the book of Numbers. So everything is taking place here at Mount Sinai. So, but this chapter is important because before God chooses to reveal his law to his people, he actually asks them to be prepared. And a lot of this chapter is about that. It's about God wanting the people to be prepared so that he can speak to them. And I think it's an important application, and we're going to keep coming back to it over and over again, is that oftentimes we want God to speak, but we're actually not willing to pay the price that he would speak. That's a tough way to start a message, but I think we have to really ask ourselves, are we willing to to do what's necessary so that we can hear from God? The Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. So in order to hear God's still small voice, we have to put ourselves in a place where we can actually hear a whisper. When we're living our lives in perpetual rebellion against God, it's hard to hear his voice because we're clouded over with so many things. Now, obviously, if God really wants, he can break through all of that. But God, it's almost like God's revelation is a dance. And God wants a willing partner. Sure, there are times in the Bible God just breaks through it all, but that's the exception rather than the rule. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to do what 
we can with the knobs on our side of the wall to be able to hear from God. And oftentimes there's a preparation period before. So let's just jump right on in here. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. It says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Verse 7, so Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. So now in the book of Exodus, this comes full circle because if you remember, Moses met with the Lord at the burning bush all the way back in Exodus chapter 3 in Horeb at Sinai, and now he's back again. But now he's going to be hearing from the Lord to speak to all the people. Now, it took three months after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so we have a time marker. So from the time of the Passover and the deliverance at the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea, Three months later now, they show up in Sinai. So it was a three-month journey, and everything that we've seen, all the trouble that was brewing, takes place over that time. Now, it's interesting. It says that Israel, at the end of verse 2, they camped before the mountain, and Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Now, it's important because Moses is functioning as a mediator, as a priest for the people. The people weren't going to God. Moses was going and talking to God and then coming back and reporting, right? So Moses, at this point, is functioning in a, medi a mediatorial role. He's standing before God as a representative of the people. Now, why is that important? Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Jesus is the new and better Moses. That's what he is, Jesus is the mediator between us and God. In that culture, a priest stood before God for people and stood before people as a representative of God. So Moses is functioning that way. He's standing in the place of the people before God. The people aren't going. Moses is going. And God is speaking to Moses. And then Moses is coming back and delivering these truths to them. Now look at what happens. Look what the Lord says in verse 3. It says, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. Verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. It's beautiful that God begins to speak to Moses for the children of Israel with a recounting of his historical deliverance of them. 
So what's interesting is God is not speaking to them out of nowhere, out of left field. Instead, he's coming and he's saying, listen, don't forget what I did for you. I delivered you out of Egypt and I bore you up on eagle's wings, which means I brought you to freedom. That's what I did. And what's beautiful about this, what's beautiful about this is that God is going to base all he's going to say on what he has already done. And this is why I dispute when people say, oh, it's a leap of faith. It's actually really not. God is simply asking us to step into what he has already done for us. And you and I, all of us, are standing on this side of the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our belief about who God is and what God is going to do in the future, we already have a historical reality that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on a cross and he rose again from the dead. So our covenant is not, I hope God's going to do something. Our covenant with God is based on, this is what God has already done. And that changes everything. Because it's not a pie in the sky. Man, it'd be great if there was a God and God did X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, there is a God and God did this already. It's an established fact. It's happened. And for the children of Israel, and we talked about this when we went through the book of Exodus, didn't we? Um, The earlier chapters, how this deliverance from the bondage of Egypt through the blood of the lamb that served as a Passover, that that was, that happened, but that was also meant to be a picture of a greater deliverance from a greater enslavement by the blood of a better lamb. Do you remember all of this? It all points to Jesus, every single bit of it. So God begins the discussion of his covenant by saying, This is what I've already done for you. Now, I want to apply that to us right now because I'm quite sure in a room this size, people watching on the internet, live streaming, someone's listening later to this message. Someone said, hey, you should check this out. You're fearful about tomorrow. I know what the problem with being fearful about tomorrow is. There's infinite reasons to be afraid. Why? Because tomorrow hasn't happened yet. There's innumerable things that could go wrong. But our hope in tomorrow, our foundation for hope in tomorrow, is that God has already taken care of us in the past. And if you ever are looking at a situation, how is this going to happen? You have to think, listen, God sent his son to die on a cross for me and rose from the dead and has filled me with his Holy Spirit. And if God could accomplish reconciliation with me, with him, then he can accomplish whatever's in front of me right now. Philosophers call that an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God could forgive our sins at the cross, then God's got what's going on in your life tomorrow. Maybe you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen at my job? How's this thing going to work? I have this tough conversation I need to have. Whatever it is, if God has been able to forgive you of your sins through the finished work of the cross, he can take care of whatever your tomorrow looks like. And that's an awesome thing. So God begins his discussion with, look at what I've already done. He's like, look, three months ago, you got delivered and I brought you out on eagle's wings. And I brought you where? It says, I brought you to myself. Do you realize that? God delivered the children of Israel and brought them to himself. Why did Jesus die? We say to forgive us our sins. But what does the forgiveness of sins really get us? A relationship with God. 
It gives us access to the Almighty One. So God's deliverance of you and I by the cross is actually giving us the gift of Himself. If you ever say, I, I don't understand why Jesus died, so that I may know God, that I may have a relationship with God, unlimited access. God, by sending Jesus, actually brought us to Himself. And all of us are called to live in the reality that we get to be with God. God has brought us to himself. So that, this is mind-blowing. You ready? God wants you for himself. I mean, think about that. Think about who you are. I mean, think about all the knuckle-headed things you either did today or thought about doing today. I mean, I mean, I'm not living in your brain, in your heart, but I know it's in my brain, in my heart. And it's like, God actually wanted me. And you. And your neighbor. And your boss. And your crazy aunt and uncle, who every time you think of him, you feel a little bit awkward about it. He wants them for himself. Because God created us. And he created us for a reason. And he sent Jesus so that we could be his. To bring us back to him. Just like the children of Israel. Now notice though, as we move into verse 5, he says this. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You know what that's called? That's called stipulations. For the children of Israel, there is a stipulation for obedience. If you will do what I'm asking you to do. Now, what's interesting is these stipulations of obedience, according to Galatians chapter 3, is none of us can keep all the law. And we'll talk about this more next week as we get into the Ten Commandments. That in every motivation, nuance, action... All of us fail at keeping the law. And because we can't work for it, God gives it to us as a gift by grace. But in giving the law, he's saying, look, if you can keep all this stuff, if you obey. Now, we know that none of us are saved by obedience. The only thing we have to be obedient to is what? Believing in Jesus. Because Jesus did what we couldn't do. He lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death in our place. But there are stipulations. And what I have found as a Christian is that obedience does not get me saved, but obedience helps me to walk in the blessings of God. And when I am disobedient, it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. It just means I don't get to enjoy all of his benefits because I miss out on them because I'm busy being self-consumed self-focused. So for us as Christians, our obedience is not to get saved. Our obedience is to be able to experience all the blessings that God wants to bestow upon our lives. And those blessings, when you hear that word in America, you always think of material blessings. But really God's greatest blessing in our life is an awareness of his own presence. That is the richest person in the world. The richest person in the world has unbroken fellowship with the God who created and sustained everything. Experiencing God's love in an umbilical type of a way, that is the wealthiest person in the world. And you don't need to have one cent in your checkbook 
to be the wealthiest person in the world. Because that's the one thing that no one can take from you. Whether or not you can pay your bills, whether or not you have food in your belly, when you have the presence of God profoundly in your life, you have everything. And you know what? We all know that it's true because a lot of us have many more cents in our checking account than the rest of the world, and we struggle with being completely unfulfilled. No matter how many times you watch your TV program, no issues with TV, but it doesn't satisfy. The new job promotion, you wanted it, you worked hard for it, but it still didn't satisfy. Not saying you shouldn't work hard, not saying you shouldn't pursue excellence at your office, but it doesn't satisfy. A bigger house, maybe a smaller house. And a newer car, or maybe for you, an older car. None of those things truly satisfy. You could be a great golfer, shaving some strokes off your game. But none of it really satisfies, does it? We can enjoy it, but it doesn't fulfill our deepest longings. What I have found is that when I walk in obedience to God, I experience all that God is for me in Christ. And I realize there's so much more to go. So obedience is not about salvation for us. Our salvation comes from Christ and our belief in him. But our obedience is tied to our experience of God's blessing. So he has these stipulations in there. And then, and this is amazing. This blows my mind every time I read it. Look at what he says in the middle of verse 5. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Wow. Now, I'm not big on underlining things in my Bible, because I think all of it's God's word, and so if you underline it sometimes. But if you did underline, I would underline those. If you don't like to underline your Bible, just reach over to your neighbors and underline in theirs. You know, just so you can get the blessing of writing that. I mean, look at what it says. Think about what this means for you and I. I mean, he says, if you will do this and you keep my covenant, then you'll be a special treasure to me above all the people and all the earth is mine. What's that saying is that not everybody in the earth is the same. That's what this says. Not everyone's the same. God created everyone. He loves everyone. But those who keep his covenant are his special treasure. Do you realize that? That not everyone's the same. Those who keep God's covenant, they're his special treasure. They have an aspect to him that is unique of everybody else. And not only that, then he says this crazy thing. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, quotes this exact line, talking about the church, the people of God, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, think about what that means. I just told you Moses was functioning as a priest, right? And a priest stands before God for the people and stands before the people for God. You know what that means? Each one of you is a priest if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want you to go out and buy some robes and some collars, you know, like, we'll just leave that there and we'll just keep moving. I shouldn't talk to anyone about fashion, so I'm not going to go anywhere near it. You know what I mean? We, we all know I don't have a gifting there. But what that means is that we are all called to stand before God for people and stand before people in the name of God. That is not a job for a select few. 
Pastor Bill and I are not the priests. We are all priests. The Reformation, they coined this as the priesthood of all believers. Now, my question is, is if that's what God's word says, if it says that the church in 1 Peter chapter 2 is a kingdom of priests, which all of us are priests, not only a few of us, but all of us, my question to you is, is how is your priesthood going? Have you grabbed hold of the ministry that God has given you with the people around you? Have you realized that your job as ordained by God is to take the people around you and stand before God in their name? Pray for them. Say, God, will you do a work in this person's life? And then to stand before people in the name of God, to be someone who speaks into their lives. See, I'm so excited about what God is doing in Crossroads because I see this verse being lived out in our body. As I'm watching people start to pray for people and start bringing people to church and people are getting saved. They don't have to come to church to get saved because people don't get saved anywhere that the gospel's being shared. And I'm watching our body being mobilized as a kingdom of priests. Not like, man, if Pastor Daniel was here, he'd share the gospel with him. No, I can do it too. And I do it my own unique way. See, God wants a movement, a movement of his people functioning in the priestly capacity that he ordained for us in Christ. You are a priest, sister. You are a priest, brother. Stand before God and cry out for people, the people around you, and stand before those people in the name of God. God will use you in the most tremendous ways if you will be simple enough simply to take God at his word. This is not who you are aspiring to be in Christ. This is who you are. And sometimes we have to convince ourselves that God really did that in your life and in my life. Do you really believe that? That God has made you a priest for his kingdom? Simply by his spirit. That is who you are. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, if that's who you are, then walk in it. Then walk in it. Just embrace who you are, who God has made you to be. I think of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Brothers and sisters, just walk in it. You are a priest. I was so pumped. One of the guys in our fellowship sent me a text this week. He's like, man, just pray for me. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to talk to a guy who really needs the Lord. I'm like, man, right on. He realized this guy is going to meet. This guy might need the Lord. We're going to, we're going to try and talk to him. Think about Pastor Gary Dicklitz. He drives some people around for his job. Everyone who gets in, he's like, man, it's like, I'm just fishing. I'm fishing in a barrel. He just throws things out there. See what happens. Not just two people in this room. Imagine if all of us grabbed hold of the priesthood God has given us. Jesus is real. I'm sure many of you who are listening today are both amazed and frustrated by the current political landscape. I always laugh at those t-shirts that people wear that tell you to vote for some alternative pop icon. So whether you're thinking about voting for Pedro or Eddie Vedder or anybody else, 
I had my team here at Crossroads create us some awesome t-shirts that communicate the real message of this voting season. We need to always remember that Jesus is in control and we can always count on him. So this month, we're offering a fun t-shirt for Jesus' Real Radio listeners that will really make a statement. It's pretty simple. It says, vote for Jesus. And when you join us by partnering with Jesus' Real Radio this month, everyone you pass by on the sidewalk will see your vote for Jesus t-shirt and know who you stand for and what life is really about. It's not a political candidate or party. It's the creator of the universe who loves us and calls us by name. Here's Josh with more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Through the month of October, we're offering each listener who supports Jesus is Real Radio their very own Vote for Jesus t-shirt with a gift of $25 or more. Remember, this isn't just a t-shirt. You'll be accomplishing two things. First, you'll be communicating to everyone around you that Jesus is who is foremost in your mind in these politically turbulent times. Second, your gift helps support Jesus is Real Radio. Every little bit of support that we receive helps us to maintain the reach of Jesus is Real Radio and even expand. So again, if you're listening today and you'd like to get your hands on a really cool t-shirt and help support Jesus is Real Radio, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner and then the big blue button that says T-Shirt Offer. There you can give your donation of $25 or more to receive your Vote for Jesus t-shirt. Please remember to include the size of shirt that you'd like. We pray God's blessing upon you and join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is real.